Some way to start the year, right? I love uh, what the worship team did there and picking songs that uh, really highlight what is the, who is the most important uh, for us this year, and that's the name of Jesus. So thank you to them for uh, such a great way to open up this weekend. Yeah. Earlier, uh, Nathan and Rebecca asked, they asked each other a question, but I kind of wanted to, to pose this question a little wider to the group, um, and, and by show of hands, do a survey uh, with those of you here in Longwood. You can also do that digitally online with Nathan, but here's the question. I want to know from this group in here, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. All right. Got a few, got a few, not many. How many of you uh, decided under no circumstances absolutely not gonna make a New Year's resolution? Okay, more people. But you know, you think it's just one or the other, but I think I found that there's a middle group. Um, how many of you have decided that you'll wait till later in the year, sometime in the next 12 months? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I recommend that strategy. Wait till around mid-December, um, and then you'll have a much higher success rate of accomplishing uh, that. So what is the deal about New Year's resolutions that um, it's all over the map? Is it personalities? Some people love them. Some personality types don't like them. Is it that we've experienced um, trying them and they failed? Or for those of us that are extra disciplined, we've tried them and we found some success. Um, we had uh, lunch. We watched the UCF game with Kyle and Sarah. I saw them earlier. Um, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions. It seems that most of, uh, of, of my friends don't make New Year's resolutions. Um, or they fall into the category like me where I just delay and wait and, and still working on some. So I, I kind of wanted to find out, you know, from an accurate, reliable source, what do people make New Year's resolutions about? So I went to the most obvious place, the internet, and uh, got my accurate information from there. But check out some of the things that people have said. Um, the top three New Year's resolutions, this was uh, 17 going into 18. Top three tied there, eat healthier, get more exercise, save money, save more money, um, Focus on self-care, more sleep, maybe reading more, uh, make new friends, learn a new skill, get a job, get a new job, um, take up a new hobby, or like many of us here, I don't plan on making a New Year's resolution. It's all over the place. What about churches? As we're kind of coming into the new year, how do churches make New Year's resolutions? What would we say is the main thing for us at Northland for 2019. Well, again, I just went to the most obvious place, Google, and typed it in there. What should be Northland's main thing in 2019? We were sweating bullets, like in the last 24 hours of the, of the 18. What in the world are we going to do in 19 here at Northland? And Google came through. Wouldn't you know? Check this out. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. 
Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Yeah, so there you have it. We're going to be passing out those VR headsets on the way out. We have no budget left for the, two, uh, for the remainder of the year. Um, John Christ, you can Google him later. Do not do it during the service. But he has done a number of these. Maybe you've seen that one before. Uh, a great Christian comedian. But, you know, some of those things actually didn't sound all that bad, right? What is it about um, the whole 19 going into a new year as we are exploring what the church should be about, what should be the main thing. And the church for a lot of years, thousands of years, has, ex- has been exploring that. Northland has done some crazy things. Some have worked, some not so much maybe. What is it going to be like going into this year? Well, here's the thing. Instead of Google, we actually don't need the internet, believe it or not. There was a person, a religious leader, who asked Jesus a similar question to what is the main thing for this year. In fact, let me give you sort of the setting in what was happening uh, in this piece of of text, this this scene that we're gonna look at. Basically, in Jesus' time, there were two uh, prominent uh, religious organizations. One was called the Sadducees, and one was called the Pharisees. All right, and they were sort of the most known. There were more, but they were the most known. They were often following Jesus, and, and they were filled with frustration, express, expressing great anger uh, at the things that Jesus was teaching. And so often what they would do is in following him, they were trying to stump him, right? They were trying to ask him some type of question that would put Jesus in a place where maybe he would contradict himself or say something that stood against one of their traditions or one of their laws that, uh, that would then uh, compromise who Jesus said he was as the Messiah. So prior to the, te- the scene that we're going to look at right here, there's a moment where the Sadducees, they're the f- their first group, they approach Jesus, and they come to him with one of these kind of hypothetical questions that we sometimes, you know, we, we come up with when we're, when we're talking to God, when we're, we're thinking about things. Maybe you've asked one of those hypothetical questions. Maybe it's off the wall, like, can God create a boulder so big that it's too heavy for him to lift, right? Maybe you've scratched your head and tried to figure that one out. These guys came up with this scenario where they were trying to stump Jesus, And what they did is they came to him and they said, okay, here's the situation, Jesus. There's seven brothers, and and one of them is married to his wife, but that brother dies. And so in their tradition, in that time period, the next brother would marry that that widow so that she could um, be cared for if there were no children that could take care of her. And so they went right down the line. The second brother dies, the third brother dies, the fourth brother dies, all the way down to seven brothers, they all die. Can you imagine the life for this woman? And, uh, and then their, their whole hypothetical question is, okay, so Jesus, what happens at the resurrection? Who's her husband? 
Like she married seven. Who's going to be her husband after the resurrection? And Jesus' answer is fascinating. You can look at it later. We don't have time to get into it right now. But Jesus often answered in a way that totally shifted the point of view of the conversation. And so in this next scene, fast forwarding a little bit, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus. And this is the next group. And they kind of discuss among themselves. They pick one of their best, one of the experts in their group. And they send him and watch him as he goes and interacts with Jesus around this question. And so we're going to look at this text uh, and see Jesus' response. We're going to basically look at three, three words uh, for, for this, this particular passage. And then um, I'm going to actually invite two people to come up and, and share a little bit as we unpack what this means in, in terms of uh, the real core of Jesus' reply here. So starting off in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. The religious leader says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're going to look at at three words here, but the first two that we're going to look at is law and prophets. When I was growing up, anytime like in Sunday school or if a preacher mentioned the words like law or prophets, that immediately made me think, I'm, I'm about to have no idea what this preacher is going to talk about. Those words are often filled with sort of mystery and, and a lot of difficulty in understanding what was happening in that time period. I mean, this was thousands of years ago. How do we get our heads around the context of what is happening around these words like law and prophets? Well, I'm going to break that down for you a little bit and, and show you why it's so significant, this last little statement to what Jesus is ultimately pointing to, which is the biggest emphasis around love. So first of all, what is the law? When this, when this religious expert is coming to Jesus and, and he's saying, which is the greatest commandment of the law, what is he referring to there? Well, certainly he meant scripture. Um, they did not have the Bible as we would have had it today, all bound, and, and you can get one in the bookstore. They're lovely. Uh, they would have only had the first five books of the Bible. That would have been the Pentateuch. Uh, and so these, these experts, these Pharisees, would have been well-versed. Many of them would have memorized large portions. Some of them memorized the entire Pentateuch. So when they're asking the question, which is the greatest in the law, it certainly would have meant uh, Scripture. It also would have meant uh, what the Hebrew words here, Torah and Mishnah. Uh, Torah, the 613 written laws of Moses. So think back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These would have been the list of laws that were written by Moses that uh, the Israelites were following. But in addition to that, over time, there was what's called the Mishnah. And this would have been hundreds of other additional laws uh, that were given orally, passed along from one generation to the next. They could have been civil laws. They could have been human, uh, human-made tra- uh, traditions. These additional laws were basically trying to protect everyone from breaking the 613 other laws. So it's a lot of rules. And that's what he's coming to Jesus with. And it was a hotly debated topic at the time. It wasn't just a question that they pulled out of, of the hat. It was actually something that they were debating in their religious circles at the time. And so that's what the law means. But what about this next word, the prophets? 
Jesus mentions both of those, that they hang on these two commandments. The prophets would basically have been those, uh, if you think back to uh, uh, the, the, what we sometimes refer to as uh, the great prophets um, or the minor prophets, uh, this is what they would have been uh, about, one who interprets the oracle or divine messages of God. Prophets were those whom and through whom God spoke. They were the ones to whom God made known his mysteries. They were the ones to whom God revealed his purposes. They were the ones that foretold, the ones that foreshadowed salvation to come through Emmanuel. If you were here last week and you heard Pastor Jeremy preach about this word, Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin on. That's what the prophets were anticipating and looking forward to. And the reason Jesus makes such a big emphasis on the law and the prophets is because everything that was foretold in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled through his life. And so ultimately, as he's pointing to love as being the great commandment, loving God and loving others, he's also emphasizing his deity and who he is as the Messiah. You might remember we did a a series last year called Every Beat and we explored the Psalms and we unpacked a little bit how Jesus uh, paid a lot of attention to the Psalms, to the prophets, and to the law. And it was because, as the scriptures say, Jesus had to fulfill not some things, but he had to fulfill everything that was written in the law and in the prophets. And so that's basically what's happening there and why Jesus is making such a big deal of it. And so ultimately it comes to this question and answer, what is the main thing? It's to love God and to love others. And how much, how often do we overcomplicate that, don't we? Just like the Israelites, just like those other laws, we try to add, 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 and we make it so complicated. And what Jesus is saying here is that love is what anchors everything. Love is what alters everyone. Jesus anchors everything. Jesus is the one that alters every one of us. So as we go into 219, we're thinking about what does it look like as a church, as a community of faith, to have courage around this topic of love. What does it mean for us to not just pick one or the other, love God and be safe there, not love each other, or love each other but sort of keep God at a distance, keep him more theoretical, more academic, sort of like the religious leader there. What does it look like to have the two go hand in hand and see that lived out? What would happen to our community, to our nation, to our country, to our world? What would that look like? So here's what I want to do. I'm actually going to ask two people to come out. They're going to come out one at a time to unpack this. I was recently uh, really inspired uh, by a conversation I had with this first person. Many of you know him. His name's John Williams. Uh, he, he attends here at Northland. He's one of our shepherding elders, uh, and, uh, and he's one of the key leaders for uh, a ministry here that's probably the, the most attended, um, kind of the hottest thing on a Friday night would be Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and John is one of the key leaders there. 
John, when, when you and I first started talking a few weeks ago, uh, I was so moved by some of the things that you were sharing and even some of the things that you had been writing. Um, and you have, you've been working on sort of a, a life mission and a vision statement. In fact, it's in the worship guide. It'll come up here on the slides as well. But in the worship guide, we printed some of those statements that, that you have articulated. Um, but before we get into that, because basically what you've done is you've begun to personalize for yourself and for your family what it looks like to merge this loving God and loving others with this whole vision statement of being fully alive. And so, just looking for some practical help on that for all of us. But first, would you tell us about your family and how you got connected here at Northland? Uh, so, my wife Jan and I have been attending with daughter Janie for over 20 years. And... Um, as a, as a part of that process, we also enjoy worship with my parents, married 61 years, come over from New Smyrna Beach every weekend to be a part of that. So it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, we're just so grateful for the, um, the spiritual equipping and the spiritual maturity we've been able to learn along the way, still a journey for us. And um, as I looked at this mission statement and so forth, um, what I recognized, you know, in my, in my life is that I had always been part of corporate America and fulfilling a mission statement or a vision statement. Yet, when God rescued me from corporate America, I no longer had that. So I became desirous of understanding, well, what is God's vision for my life and what might an appropriate mission statement be? So I think we have... Yeah, I wanted to look at a couple of these pieces, um, and, and John, I, I never knew you were so poetic, but these are statements that you've been working on over time. What was, what was the motivation, um, and, and what, what inspired you to kind of start penning this, this together? Well, I think a piece of it, again, was more um, lack of understanding and, and a need for guidance. Um, I knew in my life, and we'll talk a little bit about that mess, I knew in my life there were things that I was drawn to that, you know, took me away from God. So as a result of that, you know, began looking more deeply at this and wanting to understand exactly, you know, now um, after some pretty um, dire moments in our life, we went through a process in 2007, for example, where the real estate market began to collapse and I had career uncertainty and I had health uncertainty. And then, you know, suddenly I recognized that God needed to be in control of my life. Um, so I rededicated my life to Christ in, in, two, in 2007. I began equipping and coming to classes and getting more involved um, and just recognizing that I need to do a better job making my God first and my family first in my life and, and worrying less about materialism and those things. And you know, I learned as a part of that equipping that the only antidote for materialism is oddly generosity. And as such, began to incorporate that into the vision statement, yeah, as you'll see. That you wrote here, to become fully alive in Christ, living a life dedicated to kingdom purpose, fueled by radical generosity, utilizing time, talent, and treasure to share Christ with those in need. And we're not going to go through everything, but again, a couple more bullet points where you were melding together these big thoughts into a real personal and practical way. Just talk a little bit about a couple of those bullet points. Yeah. So... Um, after rededicating my life, and then um, one of the things I found was Celebrate Recovery. And I went there in service, you know, to help others. And what I found was I needed it. I needed to be there. And it was healing for me. And 
that helped me continue to grow and then, you know, to desire to understand this full mission statement. So, um, you know, what's beautifully simple about it, as you pointed out, is it's about loving God and loving others. Um, I needed a model in that in my life in terms of, you know, what kind of bringing my story into it was the need to love God first, you know, which I hadn't done. And this thought of coffee with Christ is just quiet time with him. Um, Continuing to discover my identity in Christ, that's saying yes to more things, you know, here that I can be a part of, um, because there's so many different care ministries and other things that are here as a part of that. Um, And then loving others, the word cherish, that's not natural. That most struck me when I was first reading this. Why that word? And tell us a little bit about what that means with your family. Well... Jesus models that, you know, cherishing the church and, and how he cherished others. And I fell short of that. And now I need to be more reminded and intentional about that. So trying to live his example, you know, of how he cherished others and how he loved others. And then ultimately making room for this in my life or our lives became more about maybe some downsizing and simplification to do that. Well, John, the last thing I wanted to, to definitely have you share is... Um, over the last week and even the last 24 hours, we've, we've talked so much about these three words that you, um, I think you, you sort of encountered them by going through and, and teaching and being a part of Celebrate Recovery. Um, but it, it, it's, it goes so much deeper and broader than just whether you're struggling with an addiction. It's, it's part of our human nature, this brokenness that we have that often keeps us at bay from experiencing the love that God has for us. Talk about those three words and what that meant for you on your journey. Sure. So there's a, I mean, it's a healing process, but it's just a transformational process, you know, to involve the following. And that is our reconciliation with God, which requires humility, our reconciliation with self that requires vulnerability, our reconciliation with others, which is about honesty and then ultimately giving back for the gift of healing and transformation we have, which is that attitude of gratitude. So it's really a combination of a step process and healing along with what Jesus you know, had to say in the Beatitudes about our attitudes of heart. So that's helped me recognize you know, a few things. I'll, I'll just briefly give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, in my life, I, I recognized that you know god had to be first and had to be in control and that was really about submitting but you know with humility in that phase and recognizing that another area in terms of uh vulnerability was just recognizing that recently in my prayer life i examined some things and my prayers were always dedicated toward others and i thought well that might be altruistic that might be you know a good good way of loving others yet what it really was about was pride and not asking God, you know, to help me in my weaknesses. So now I've made a greater focus on that, inviting into my weaknesses. Reconciling with others, you know, is, is about honesty, but also just amends with no expectations. So um, I think this whole process has, has helped me engage those healing principles and transformational principles more broadly. Awesome. Well, John has been here all weekend, and we got one more to go tomorrow night. So would you join me in just thanking him for your vulnerability and just sharing your experience with us? Thanks. And John will come back up here um, in just a little bit to, to process a next step. But here's the deal. As we've been thinking through this journey that all of us are on, if you think about the encounter 
that this religious leader had with Jesus, he had no idea the answer Jesus was going to give, right? Just like when we often come to Jesus, we sort of have an, an ex expectation or an idea of what we think Jesus might say, and then how often is it something else? I'm sure that this religious leader was just looking for an academic debate. Just let's talk theory, let's just talk in generalities, uh, just from this massive list of laws and all the things that the prophets said. You know, let's just, let's just kind of debate one, Jesus, and then he turns the table and all of a sudden the conversation is about vulnerability. It's about honesty. It's about humility. And in the Gospel of Mark, you can actually read, uh, there's an uh, amazing moment where, uh, I was just reading this this morning, um, where Mark, he documents this interaction as well. So in this other gospel, we read of, of his, his account of what took place, and he actually starts coming to an understanding. He doesn't just leave uh, that interaction with Jesus sort of in a cerebral state. You can tell that there's something happening at a heart level because he's, he says to Jesus, you're right in saying what you've said, to love God with all your heart and, and, and your mind and, and your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then this is the line, it's it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so all of a sudden, there's a realization that he was encountering at a heart level that all of us ultimately have to face and encounter as well. It's what C.S. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves when he talked about uh, the essence of what has to transpire in, in order for us to, to experience and receive the best of what God has for us, it requires vulnerability. This is what he wrote. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It's a tough thing for us to pause and explore less than seven days into the new year. I mean, how many of us, and I'll be the first to confess, I prefer interacting with people in a way that I can sort of keep the conversation at an arm's length, sort of control the narrative, open up just enough without sort of being too vulnerable, certainly not letting somebody be too vulnerable to me because I don't really want to have to deal with that. And yet, this is the journey that Jesus modeled for us to the cross. It's the journey that he modeled for us and the sacrifice that he made. And it's why we ultimately can respond to who he is, not because we have so many good things to offer him, but because of his generosity, his love, his forgiveness. So this last story that, that I, I want you to hear before, uh, before we close with a song is, is around this question we were talking about when you, when you take this big concept and you take this whole idea of what Jesus was unpacking, another way that you could actually ask this question is, how is my life working for the people around me? 
It's a lot easier to just do some self-evaluation evaluation and say, how's my life working for me? You know, what can I tweak or make better or adjust so that I can gain more, be happier, be more satisfied, sort of create church or work or relationships around the way I want it, but to reverse that and say, how is my life, how is the way I love others working for those around me? So I'm gonna ask Rebecca if she'll come back out and Many of you know Rebecca from announcements, um, or you, you know her in the foyer. Um, she's involved in our Belong and Grow and, and process, and just so helpful in so many ways in connecting people. But one of the things that really struck me um, a couple months ago, we were, we were talking about um, just your story, which I had no idea about. You know, you think you know people, and then you start hanging out, and I was so moved by what got you, not just to Northland, but to this place where you began to understand a lot of what John was talking about as well. So maybe just for a minute, first, tell us about your family. Tell them kind of what you guys are all about. Sure. We're the Lang Gang. That's our family name. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful husband, Jeff. You have probably seen him walking around. He volunteers uh, playing guitar and children's worship. My daughter, Lola, she's 16. She does announcements sometimes as well, really involved in student ministries as well as uh, kids' church. And then my son, Max, who's 13, um, and he volunteers with Access Ministries, middle schooler, just the smartest kid around, can help you with anything technology-related. Just hit me up, and I'll send him your way. Um, but we're just, you know, a, a family that just loves this place, loves Northland, and is so grateful for having found this community. So talk about that journey to finding community. It wasn't so much just finding Northland. It was about a major transformation that took place in your life really first because um, as you explained it to me, there was a lot of what John was talking about, the vulnerability, the honesty, the humility, um, had to come from your own heart. Talk about that journey for a little bit. That question you put up there, how is my life working for the people around me? Um, I almost didn't get to answer that question because it was pretty much close to almost too late. Um, like John, had a career, 17 years, top burner, rose up the ladder quickly, traveled a lot, and um, was just really, really super successful. Um, but of course, in the midst of that, I was so much more concerned about making bonus than being at a ball game, uh, performance than being present with my family. And in addition to just some just drive professionally, I also really sought just some selfish things as well. Um, and before I knew it, I look around, and my family was just devastated in the wake of me being driven and focused on things that um, put them second. So in the summer of 2011, um, basically my marriage was on the rocks. I mean, on the rocks is an understatement. It was uh, literally about to fall apart, and I was about to lose my family. And because of God's grace and who he is um, and who he picked for me, I was so lucky and I am so lucky to have the most amazing husband ever. Any of you that have met him know that about him. And so sitting on the back porch of our house, this big house, having a really honest conversation about where we were and where our family was, he said to me, we could save this house or we could save our marriage. Um, and of course, I chose marriage and, and my family because I just love them more than anything. And I just, I was so oblivious to 
the way my life was impacting them. So a month later, quit my job, 17 years, wound up here on the recommendation of a friend at North, and we had grown up together in church and had attended church, but my job had me traveling quite a bit on the weekends, and so we hadn't been engaged in church, and came here in the summer of 2011, and parked over there in lot three, and as we're walking in, um, if there's ever time where I can, physic- I can remember physically feeling and hearing Jesus, it was then. And we were walking down, and I was just a wreck crying. And my husband is like, what is wrong with you? And I said, man, we're home. And I really felt like Jesus was walking us in and saying, Rebecca, welcome home. And that's what this place is for our family. Um, the people that God used here, the community, are the reason why I could stand here and tell this story. It's the reason why I can drive here with my family. And I have a great burden to want people to experience Jesus the way that my family did and the way that I did. And so that's why I'm just so passionate about the role that I'm in, about helping people connect Um, I read recently, you don't have to know everybody, but long to know somebody. Um, And not only me, but Northland and the people I work with and Sean, we care and love you guys so much. And that's what we want for you. We want 2019 to be a year where you take your, your life to a whole nother level through engaging in this community. Make 2019 about more than just coming and sitting here for worship, but being present, meeting a new friend, being in a home group, studying the Bible, learning more, serving others. Um, that made the difference for me and my family coming here. It's why I love when you get so amped up around connecting people. Yeah. Um, It's why it made so much sense that we had to have your story told here because I think for a lot of people without knowing that background, it would just seem like, well, you just are very enthusiastic about your job and getting people connected, but it's because of the way you were reconnected, Um, and and that's what makes you so passionate, and I think that's such a strength for this church is is your story and your wiring and God's journey um, for you and your family, and we were talking about how... um, isn't that the reality for a lot of us in our family situations with our friends, um, whether you're married or not? It's so often what we all are looking for, whether it's in a spouse or in it's a friendship. It's not so much a list of questions um, or rules, um, a checklist. It's where are you? Are we together right now in this? Uh, And that's what Jesus is inviting us into together. And so, as we were brainstorming a a few weeks ago with the worship team, uh, it was, there was a really great time where Lori uh, Groves mentioned, you know, this text and, and the stories that we're talking about, really, there's a song that, that kind of captures the gravity of this dilemma. It it takes us into a space of reflecting and meditating on the breakthrough that God is wanting for us, but also the barriers that we create in order to try to deflect those breakthroughs. And so 
This song that, that uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out, a few of them are going to lead us in this. It's, it's not a, a, a song where we're going to stand or we're going to sing, but it's more a song to reflect and contemplate on just how significant it is what Jesus did for us and what he's inviting us into this year.